Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Good morning. It's 8:30. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippians send relief to Louisiana to help flood survivors there. Then a settlement is reached with investment from Morgan Stanley in violations of Mississippi securities regulations. And a verdict in a 54-year-old cold case involving a Mississippi man and the murder of his first wife. We'll talk to investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell about the bizarre twists and turns. She threw out something, and it was a machete, and it, like, clanked on the floor. And then she threw out another machete, and then another one, and then another one. No. And then these swords, and I'm like, what the heck have I gotten myself into? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Gulf Coast residents are remembering the help they got after Hurricane Katrina and are paying it forward by sending aid to those hit by flooding in Louisiana. The donations and prayers come as Louisiana continues to deal with the ravages of last week's floods. Parts of Mississippi took on floodwaters, too, but the damage in Louisiana was far more extensive. Tony Strickland is helping gather supplies in Pass Crochet to take to Louisiana on Saturday. She tells MPB's Evelina Burnett her home took in 17 feet of water during Katrina. We're collecting donations of uh, cleaning supplies, um, baby food, diapers, wipes, um, adult diapers, um, games for children, toys, um, water, toiletry items, um, things to just help people clean up and stay clean. Where are you taking it in Baton Rouge? I have three different shelters that just came open in Denham Springs, so we're probably going to take them there because I know Baton Rouge is already inundated. Why did you decide to help organize this effort? Well, I work for a wonderful boss. We own this whole warehouse, so I had the space to do it. Um, I talked to Chipper McDermott, the mayor of Pass Christiane, and he agreed that it would be a great thing to do um, to coordinate everything for the city of Pass. I am a Katrina victim. I did spend a lot of time at the tents, not just getting supplies or food, but also helping them stock and, and, and being a part of the community again. How has that affected what kind of supplies you want to bring? There was a lot of stuff that really didn't need to be um, during Katrina. Cleaning supplies was the big thing. You can't go to the store. The Walmarts are closed. The grocery stores are closed. They can't get water. They can't get the basic necessities. That's why I'm pushing for those items. Did you lose your house during Katrina? Uh, My house had 17 feet of water in it. And just five months ago, I recently moved back into it. So did you have to sort of look for these supplies yourself after Hurricane Katrina? Yes, we did. Um, Luckily, we had the volunteers that set up the tents. um, And we also had the Red Cross that drove around and dropped off items to us. Um, I live in a a rural neighborhood, so we didn't have a lot of traffic, but they knew we were there. And they did come by every day and feed us, and it was wonderful. Sort of on a personal level, though, why why have you decided to 
to try to bring things over to Louisiana right now? I am from New Orleans. Um, I am a Louisiana resident uh, prior to me moving to Mississippi, and I just want to pay it forward. I'm sure they did a lot for us during the Katrina times and all, and um, I just want to give back. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Tony Strickland of Past Christiane. Chris Vines of Gulfport tells Evelina Burnett sending help to Louisiana neighbors started with a phone call. It's been surreal. Um, we got together as a community, really, and were able to get some supply efforts together uh, for those over in Baton Rouge and the surrounding areas uh, of Louisiana. You know, we've we've had a lot of help here in the years past, and we came together and thought it's a good way to pay it forward. Um, we've been in their situation. We know what it takes, what it what they're looking forward to, and what they can look forward to in the future. How did this start, and where are you today? I started off with a phone call from Paula Hughes, uh, the mayor's wife. She's got family from over there, and she was seeing the images on Facebook and on TV and said, we've got to do something. We can get together. We can do this. And from there, Rebecca Caden, who's the assistant to the mayor and myself, kind of got together and said, let's get, let's get something on social media. Let's push it out there. And what we did is we reached out to our fire departments and said, hey, let's collect goods. This is what we need. We need these type items. We need cleaning supplies, bleach garbage bags, things they can use right away. You know, we've, at, we've been pretty precise on what we're sending over there because we know what in the first stages, first days, that's what you need. Uh, there's going to be a lot of steps that they'll go through to get back to normal, but this is the first step that they need and most of what we could do with it. So, And how much have you collected so far? It's been unbelievable. It's uh, been really surreal. We put out a, a post on Facebook, and the last time I checked, we had reached 72,000 people. And um, it was organic, and that's just us saying, hey, come together if you got anything anything hat works we've had people show up with truckloads with two bags here you know random things and we're on our second 18 wheeler we're gonna leave tomorrow morning at 6 30 and head over to looks like denham springs ascension uh livingston parish parish and just drop off uh, we've had contacts over there with a lot of their offices and first responders and we're we're, we're here for them and what have they said in terms of what they what they need? It's been it's been a really great communication. They're relieved to see that we're all stepping up. Uh, the items that we're sending over are things that they're actually can use right off the truck. Um, like I said, you know the Clorox wipes, the mops, things like that. Um, we've been organized. Lots of water. We've had elementary schools come together and do school drives. So much has happened in the last seventy two hours. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Chris Vines of Gulfport on donating relief to Louisiana flood victims. At the end of collecting supplies on Tuesday, donors in Gulfport had three tractor-trailer rigs and two trailers loaded to go to Louisiana this morning. Up next, a settlement is reached with investment firm Morgan Stanley in violations of securities regulations. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Donald Trump wants a new test to screen out would-be immigrants who don't embrace American values. I call it extreme extreme vetting. Our country has enough problems. We don't need more. I'm Ari Shapiro proposing new rules for who can enter this country and who should be kept out later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
The Mississippi Secretary of State's office has reached a $4.7 million settlement with investment firm Morgan Stanley after an investigation of its Ridgeland branch. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman says a former financial advisor at Morgan Stanley made risky and aggressive investments without clients' knowledge or full understanding. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the settlement will help investors recoup some losses. We discovered that uh, this individual uh, was not following a customer portfolio. He had told people that he would follow a portfolio which was risk-averse, for example, and in fact there was churning going on here. Multiple high-risk securities were being bought and sold, and some outside of the normal brokerage house arrangement. Uh, Mr. White has been uh, cooperating fully with the Secretary of State's office, and we appreciate that. We have removed his license to practice and sell securities, and we also removed the license of the individual that was supervising him for Morgan Stanley. He has retired, and his license will not be renewed. And then Morgan Stanley has paid $4.7 million. Of that, $100,000 of it is a fine that goes to the state of Mississippi. Uh, $400,000 of it paid for all the cost for the state to run this down and the experts we had to hire and all the other things we had to do. But the great majority, $4.2 million uh, of it, uh, you know, roughly 90% of everything goes back to the customers. Did Mr. White admit any wrongdoing? Did he, was he scamming people? What ultimately did he give for a reason? They're all listed in the consent decree. And um, as part of the consent decree, you'll see that Mr. White experienced uh, certain personal issues, and uh, those were known by Morgan Stanley and were not addressed, and those are listed in our consent order. What does the company have to say about this? Well, you have to call them. Uh, what did they tell you? What, I, what they told me is that they uh, neither admitted nor denied anything, but they paid $5 million. So it is a consent decree with no admission of guilt. That, that is correct. We charged them with failure to supervise. Morgan Stanley, and then we, um, the other brokers were, were, Mr. White was charged with a number of different violations that are in the consent decree. I read them all, so you can look at those. So those, those are what we, we, um, what we charged, and we've, we've reached a settlement agreement with Mr. Wyatt, and so it's all in part of the consent decree. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman. Joe Pfeiffer is an attorney representing one of the clients in the case. He tells Desiree Fraser the case is not over and his client will have her day in court. The bottom line is, is that Morgan Stanley, uh, through their malfeasance and uh, allowing Mr. Wyatt and Mr. Brewster to run wild in the Ridgeland, uh, Mississippi office, lost about 50% of the money that Mississippi investors gave to them over a time when the market was essentially flat. How was that able to happen? Well, there was virtually no supervision or in any supervision that was there was ignored or just brushed off. There was incredible amount of commission grabs and uh, putting the broker's interest, Mr. Wyatt's interest and Morgan Stanley's interest ahead of the customer's. Uh, There was unauthorized trading. There was... uh, failure to disclose. There was misrepresentations. Uh, Really, uh, this case, I think, presents a buffet of malfeasance and fraud. And to go over everything that uh, went wrong here would take a good solid hour of radio time. But it, it was... I've represented over a thousand individuals myself in cases against their brokers and brokerage firms. This is the worst case I've ever seen. 
What makes this stand out as the worst? Just the level of indifference that Morgan Stanley exhibited when their broker was off track and they were getting warning sign after warning sign after warning sign that he was doing something wrong. That, that makes this stand out. The greed that came out of that branch and that was exhibited by Mr. Wyatt and, in fact, Mr. Brister encouraged greed in that, in that uh, branch. He would often quote Gordon Gecko, And those are the sorts of things that stand out in my mind that make this not just uh, somebody screwed up case, but somebody did something wrong on purpose for money to benefit themselves instead of the investors. And so basically this office was doing what they wanted to do with people's money. You have a client here today. Tell us what happened with her. Well, she has uh, lost $300,000 due to Morgan Stanley, Mr. Wyatt, and Mr. Brister's malfeasance. Uh, Unfortunately, that $300,000 was earmarked to take care of her daughter, who has cerebral palsy after she passes away. This case illustrates what I always say. It's, it's bad to lose money, but it's the impact on people and what they can do and how, can they, can, how they can care for their parents, how they can care, can care for their children, how they can care for themselves in retirement. These are the sorts of things that happen when you lose this much money for people uh, by taking commissions for yourself and not looking out for your clients. And it's a shame. So she went to the Jackson office and, and worked with Mr. Wyatt on a portfolio? It's, a Ridge, it's the Ridgeland, Mississippi branch, yes. It's uh, Jack, Jackson Ridgeland, but it's the Ridgeland, Mississippi branch, and yes. Uh, she did. She went in there, and she got the same poor treatment that everybody did. Oftentimes when it comes to investing, you rely on the person that you're speaking to. That seems to be an area that uh, many folks aren't well-versed in, and that's why they go to stockbrokers. Uh, 100%. And, in fact, that's why you go to a big name like Morgan Stanley, because you figure even if you've got a rogue actor like Mr. Wyatt, they have robust systems to stop him from doing that. Well, it turns out that they don't. They either didn't have those systems or they ignored those systems. And so... You know, just like I expect my clients to trust me, just like when I sit down in the dentist chair, I trust the dentist. When you go to the stock, your stockbroker, people trust their stockbroker, and they're entitled to do that. Will she be able to recoup any of her loss? Well, the Secretary of State here has put a floor on what she can recover, which is about 15 to 25 percent, depending on how you calculate it. Uh, we expect that we will do much better than that at trial. You are um, going to pursue it? Of course. Uh, the 20% doesn't do uh, her daughter any good. It doesn't help her. It's not going to take care of her after her mother has, has passed away. We need to get a full recovery for my client in order to make her whole. Do you think that that can happen in this instance? I think it absolutely should happen. I think it can happen. I think the very last case that we tried, we had four individuals, and we received a verdict of around $2.5 million with attorney's fees and punitive damages. So I expect, uh, although every case is different, I expect that we will do well in this case as well. MPB's Desiree Fraser with attorney Joe Pfeiffer, who is representing a client in the securities regulations violations case against Morgan Stanley in Mississippi. Up next, a verdict in a 54-year-old cold case involving a Mississippi man and the murder of his first wife. We'll talk to investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell about the bizarre twists and turns. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. 
Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Normally, when a homicide goes unsolved for more than 50 years, that's the end of the story. But Mississippi native Felix Vail is behind bars now for the murder of his first wife in 1962. The guilty verdict is the, in the case came last Friday. The long and winding story of the prosecution of Vail is behind the USA Network documentary Gone. Vail's case is also the oldest prosecution of a suspected serial killer in U.S. history. He has been linked to the murders of two other women he was involved with. Investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell of the Clarion Ledger has been covering the case extensively and chronicled the bizarre nefarious crime story. He tells us his involvement in the case started four years ago. Well, uh, May of 2012 is when I started. Um, what happened was I got a call from Annette Craver Vale's mother, whose name is Mary Rose. And so she contacted me and said, would you be interested in writing about a serial killer living in Mississippi? Of course, my answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why did she and, call you? She just well, she knew you know, of your she work? She had heard me on the radio. Democracy Now! had a program on the Mississippi burning case, which, of course, I worked on. And so they had me on that show, and she was actually just listening to it on the radio. She realized, obviously, several things. One, that I was a journalist in Mississippi. Two, that I worked on cold cases, and and obviously very cold cases. So that that made her feel like I was somebody she could reach out to and might be interested in, and that kind of thing. And so... In May of 2012, she decided to come down. She wanted to confront this man named Felix Vale, suspected serial killer. And so I was like, well, I'll go with you. You know what I mean? Because, I, 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 you know, A, I felt like she probably needs somebody to go yeah. with her. But B, I'm a journalist. I know a good story when I hear one. You know, so I went with her, and that kind of began the, the journey. We went over to Felix Vale's trailer where he lived which is in this community called Montpelier. How long had he lived in Mississippi? Much of his life. I mean, he kind of is all over the country, you know, from California to Florida, but also a lot of it in Mississippi. So he was in and out of Mississippi pretty much his whole life. Uh, Grew up in Montpelier community, uh, left, and then came back and took care of his parents when they were older. So you went to his Um, trailer. So we went to the property, and he had a gate. And uh, she was pointing, you know, that he lives down this path here. And so she hops the gate and I follow her. We go down and, you know, these tall weeds, you can't see anything. We keep walking, we keep walking. Finally, we get to clearing and, and you can see two trailers. Uh, the one on the left was new one and kind of surmised that's where he lived. It was kind of silver and gleaming in the sun. And the, and the other one was like a storm damaged trailer. And so she went first to the new trailer. I just followed along with her, knocked on the door. He didn't answer. And so I was just kind of gathering in our surroundings. I happened to notice these woods back behind the trailer. 
And the next thing I look up, she's she going toward it. So I, I followed her and got over there, and she, the back window, it turned out, was missing from that storm-damaged trailer. So she pulled off the plastic and just crawled in and then opened the front door so I could see. I wasn't going to get in the trailer. But she opened the front door, and then she starts rummaging around. So she threw she threw out something, and it was a machete, and it, like, clanked on the floor. And then she threw out another machete, and then another one, and then another one. No. And then the sword that I'm like, what the heck have I gotten myself into? Had you done any research up to this point, or was this from her phone no, call? No, strictly, strict, yeah, strictly what she told me, which was this guy married uh, married Horton Vale in 62, and she drowned 11 years later. Uh, Sharon Hensley, whom he was maybe sort of married to, disappeared, and then 11 years later, her daughter disappeared. So that's all I knew. That's all I knew going in. And the machetes and the swords maybe intrigued you a little more? Well, yeah. I'm like, who, you know, I mean, obviously, if you live out in the country, you might have a machete or maybe two, maybe, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I'm thinking this many and that, this many swords. And it was just, it was very odd, you know, it was very odd, to say the least. That kind of began the journey. Uh, she had a whole stack of documents that she had saved in a couple of folders and so she showed them to me letters that he had written and probably the most valuable thing she had was a um, autopsy report of the first wife uh, Mary Horton Vale and I ended up sharing that with Dr. Michael Bodden the pathologist and he came back to me and told me it was a homicide so that kind of began the journey. Let me ask you this because this is the question I've had all along how could her death uh, Mary Hortonville have been declared an accident when there was a scarf in her mouth into her throat. What's accidental about that? You know, that's a great question. And if you, it's not like you see that photograph, you, you immediately accidental drowning pops to mind. You know, is yeah, <laughs> isn't it true also that everyone involved with what might have been a prosecution is is dead now? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is obviously not just a, not just the coldest serial you know, killer suspect case, but uh, obviously uh, coldest case probably in U.S. history. Well, and also yeah. Mrs. Craver, who, who's the one that's been pushing this with you, her yep. daughter died in 1984, so she's been on this journey for, for decades. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, she had pretty much, I won't say she'd given up. She really hadn't given up at all. That's why she pursued me and, and everything like that, but, you know, just hadn't been successful. Really getting anybody to listen, to be honest. I mean, all these different, it looked like something might happen in the 90s and and, and mid-1990s and nothing happened then either. It is truly riveting and chilling and fascinating all at once. Felix Vale, and again, your your whole series is called Gone, and that's exactly what happened to these three women. Uh, Jerry Mitchell, investigative reporter with the Clarion Ledger, thank you so much. Thanks, Jerry. Coming up tomorrow in our book club, food and entertaining Southern style with Mississippi native Julia Reed. The phone rang and an editor for the New York Times Magazine had been there and he said, uh, have you ever written about food? And I said, no. I'd written about pretty much everything in my career. And so he asked me, he said, you know, our food columnist just left, you know, would you consider it? So I said, sure. So I wrote the food column in the Times Magazine for the next three and a half years. That's tomorrow in our book club. 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up this morning, it's Fix It 101, Everyday Tech, and Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org, through the MPB Multimedia app, or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe to the show right there. It's easy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Donald Trump wants a new test to screen out would-be immigrants who don't embrace American values. I call it extreme, extreme vetting. Our country has enough problems. We don't need more. I'm Ari Shapiro proposing new rules for who can enter this country and who should be kept out later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. From APM in Los Angeles, I'm Molly Wood, in for Ben Johnson, and this is Marketplace Tech. For just